Welcome to the Vanguard Bible Church podcast. For more information about Vanguard Bible Church, visit www.vanguardbible.org or come worship with us on Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. at Freedom Middle School in Northwest Bakersfield. We hope you enjoy today's message. Hey, church family, Pastor Kerry here. It's hard to believe it's been another week since we last met here online. It's also hard to believe we have had another week of heartbreaking news coverage about riots and looting and protest and fighting over racial issues in our country. As I was watching the news all week, I kept asking the Lord, what does your word say about this? And I kept asking him as well, Lord, what do you want me to say about this as a, as a pastor, as a, a, a minister of the gospel, as a leader? What am I supposed to say? Well, thankfully, the Lord answered those prayers for me, and his word has a lot to say. But before we go any further, let's begin with prayer, and let's ask the Lord to help us understand his word. Would you join me? Heavenly Father, would you please help us as we open the scriptures together by your grace and by your spirit to understand what your word has for us today. Lord, would you please shine your word into our hearts, into the crevices of our hearts, the deep corners of our hearts, and would you expose what needs to change in us so that we can be more like Christ. And Lord, finally, thank you for those who sacrificed their own lives so that we could have English copies of your word today. And Lord, thank you that we live in a nation where we can study the word and talk about it. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I want to invite you to open up your copy of God's word to Genesis chapter 1 with me. Genesis chapter 1. And as you turn there, uh, no doubt you've seen the news headlines this past week and all the stuff on social media about uh, two, primarily two awful deaths. And everybody's furious about this, and I think rightfully so. Uh, First of all, in February of this year, a 25-year-old unarmed African-American man named Ahmad Arbery was fatally shot by two white men in Georgia while he was jogging. And then, of course, this past month, just over a week ago, a 46-year-old African-American man named George Floyd died while being arrested by police officers in Minneapolis, Minnesota. The cause of death is at least in part due to one of the officers placing his knee on Mr. Floyd's neck while Mr. Floyd was handcuffed and lying face down on the ground. Both the cases are gut-wrenching and heartbreaking and and tragic. Well, as Christ followers, you know that we've been called to be transformed with the renewing of our minds. And this is extremely, extremely important because we need to think biblically about the issues that are dividing our country. And if we don't, we too could get caught up in the tidal wave of emotions that 
are flooding our nation and doing so much damage. Just as we learned with COVID-19 and the economic recession that followed that, the racial tensions that have resurfaced in our nation this year are another opportunity for the Lord's church to show we have answers. We have answers. And after praying and wrestling all week on what to say about these sensitive issues, I have three simple truths from the scriptures where the answers can be found. And I want to share those with you, and I hope that you'll share them with others that you interact with about this topic of racial injustice and prejudice. Well, uh, just a heads up, though, before we go any further, I'm going to do something a little different today. Uh, first, I'm going to list applications throughout this video instead of waiting until the end. And then next, I'm going to invite you to pray with me at the end of the video for uh, the things that are going on in our country right now. I thought it might be nice if we prayed and we asked God together to intervene. So with that... Uh, Genesis chapter 1. Uh, the book of Genesis was written by Moses in order to document the creation account, the fall of man, the flood, the stories of Abraham, and many others. Uh, not only does Genesis contain the beginning of world history, it also reveals the foundations of God's plan to redeem the world after the world fell into sin. Uh, through a personal relationship with His Son, Jesus Christ. And in Genesis chapter 1, we're told how the world and how mankind came into existence. And for the sake of discussion today, I want to focus on the creation of man. And so if you would follow along with me as I read Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. It's there that God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. In verse 27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Here's uh, the first point on your outline. Number one, and that is that all human beings are made in the image of God. All human beings are made in the image of God. After you write that down, notice if you would at verse 26, it says, let us. Notice the subject is plural. And this is just a little clue, and this is one of several texts, actually, in the Scriptures that prove the existence of the Trinity before creation, meaning that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit all played a role in creating the universe. Now, if you haven't done so already, I want to encourage you to underline or highlight two phrases in verse 26, the first being, in our image, and then the other one being, after our likeness. The Hebrew word for image that's used here means an object similar to something else. This Hebrew term 
for image was frequently used to refer to in the scriptures. It was frequently used to, to refer to uh, statues or models or replicas. Next, um, the word that's used for likeness, also in verse 26, uh, the word in original text, it describes something that is similar, but not, not identical to the original. Similar, but not identical. Now, why is this significant? Well, because it means God wanted to create a creature that was higher than the animals, but lower than the angels. He wanted to create something that was like him, but not him. And that's important because one of the reasons mankind got in trouble in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve in particular, is that they wanted to be God. Now, let's pause the video for a second, and I'd like you to talk about this discussion question. What are some ways that we are like God, and what are some ways we are not like God? What are some ways we are like God, and what are some ways we are not like God? Uh, pause the video and talk about that, and I'll be right back. Well, we are like God in a few ways, and one of the ways that helps us to discern this is by thinking how we are different than, or not like, the animals in creation. So here, here's a few things that theologians talk about when we talk about man being made in the image of God. First of all, we are like God morally. We are all born with an intrinsic sense of right and wrong. Uh, we admire righteousness and despise injustice. Now, this is why most of us, while watching the news this past week, felt this anger or uneasiness in our hearts as we saw uh, riots and looting going on. We knew that's not right. What, we're, what I'm watching there, that is not right. That's wrong. And that's one of the things that sets us apart from the rest of creation and makes us like God. Next, we're like God spiritually. We are not only material beings in that we have a physical body, but we are also immaterial, meaning we have a soul. So like God, we are able to think about spiritual things, and we have a sense within us that there's something beyond the grave. We, we, believe, we are born believing in eternity, that there's a heaven and a hell. Animals aren't capable of doing that kind of thinking. Animals don't think about spiritual things, but we do. Next, we are mentally like the Lord. We are able to use reason and logic to solve complex problems. We are born learning, and we are able to continue learning until we die. Uh, we also have a sense of time that nothing else in creation does. We, we are able to learn from our past to make decisions in the present while thinking about the future and letting the future influence our decisions in the present. Uh, again, animals don't do that, and we are like God in that sense. Even though God lives outside of time, 
He is not living in time. We, we do think about time. We are able to understand the concept. And then lastly, relationally, we are like God. And then we have a broad range of emotions. We have a depth of relationships that animals do not have. Like God, we are able to experience joy and grief and intimacy and loss and much more. Now, what does this mean for us today, though? Well, in reality, there is only one race, the human race. Now, although there are different subgroups and ethnicities within the human race, we share more in common with the other people groups in the world than we do differences. According to the scriptures, we are all made from dust and will return to dust when we die, at least when our bodies die. We all have a mind, a body, and a soul. We are all born the same way. We all need the same things to live, food and water and air. And we all will leave this earth in death to live somewhere else in eternity. Now, although the scriptures refer to different people groups in the world, and sometimes based on their location or their culture, really, though, the scriptures only use two categories to refer to people, and it's always in relation to the Lord. It just a a surface or a cursory view of the scriptures, if we were to kind of just skip across the pond, to use the metaphor, and look at the scriptures from a high level, we would see that really there are those who fear the Lord and those who do not. And those who fear the Lord are called righteous, and those who do not are called wicked. And that's, that's how the Lord sees the various people groups in the world. They're all one human race. They're all fallen uh, out of the garden, rebelling, born in sin. We all need salvation through Jesus Christ, and we all will spend eternity somewhere. And the Lord classifies us as either fearing Him, thus righteous, or not fearing Him and wicked. So let's talk application. Uh, I think the application here is that we should respect all human beings because all human beings are made in the image of God. We should respect them and treat them fairly, born and unborn, beautified and deformed, those who look like us and those who don't look like us. God's Word condemns racism because it denies the image of God in others while privatizing the image of God in us. Let me say that again. God's Word condemns racism because it denies the image of God in others while privatizing the image of God in us. Or another way I could say it is, it makes the image of God in us better or exclusive and says to other people groups, hey, you know, you don't have the image of God or your image of God is not better than my image of God. Mine's better. Yours is less better. 
<laughs> it biblically makes no sense, okay? Thus, all racism and murder is sin because it's an insult on God's image placed in man. Romans 12.3 says we should not think more highly of ourselves than we ought to. And Philippians 2.3 says in humility we should consider others better than ourselves. And this includes people from different parts of the world, different parts of the country, or even different parts of the city. We should respect all human beings and treat them fairly like we would want to be treated. Now, I, don't, I won't have you turn to the next scriptures that I'm going to reference for the sake of time. So I'll just quickly mention them and mention what they say. And I want to encourage you, though, to, to highlight them in your own Bible when we're done. Uh, here's number two on your outline. The second truth that the scriptures talk about that I think is really important for us to remember with all this conflict going on in our nation right now, and it's this. The Lord loves justice and hates injustice. The Lord loves justice and hates injustice. Justice refers to impartial judgment or moral equity. It means to do what is right and fair for everybody, not what we think is fair. And because of our inherited sin nature, I have found just uh, anecdotally from observing humans and myself, and of course from studying the scriptures, I have found that we like justice when it works to our advantage, but we want mercy when justice doesn't work to our advantage. Now, thankfully, the Lord doesn't work that way. For example, in Psalm 33, verses 4 and 5, it says, all his work is done in faithfulness. He loves righteousness and justice. In the Deuteronomy, chapter 32, verse 4, it says that the Lord's work is perfect, for all his ways are justice, a God of faithfulness without iniquity, just and upright is he. And so justice is an important part of God's character but unfortunately not ours. I mean, as I said earlier, I think the best thing we could say about ourselves in justice is that we are born with an intrinsic understanding that there's a need for justice. We can at times observe and say that's just and that's unjust, but definitely not like the Lord. And this brings me to letter A on your outline, and it's this. Human justice is imperfect. Human justice is imperfect. Now, after you write that down, I'd like you to pause the video again and talk about this discussion question. How and why do you think human justice is imperfect? How and why? That's an important thing to talk about. Why don't you do that, and I'll be right back in a minute. Well, I'm sure you guys came up with uh, a, a lot of good reasons, because there are a lot of good reasons why human justice is imperfect. Um, here's, here's a few that came to my mind from the scriptures. Uh, first of all, 
we as humans, fallen beings, as fallen beings, we are all, we're prone to rush to judgment. Uh, Proverbs 18, 17 talks about that. Um, another reason is that, there, is that there are false witnesses. There are, there are witnesses who lie about what they saw in order to bring injustice to certain people. Proverbs chapter 6, verses 16 to 19 talks about that. There are also false victims. There are people who claim they were wronged when they weren't. Uh, take, for example, Potiphar's wife and what she did to Joseph in Genesis chapter 39. And then there are humans that also try to sway justice with bribes. The scriptures talk about that in Proverbs 17, verse 23. So long as sinners walk on this earth and Satan is unbound, justice will always be imperfect because we are not capable of getting it perfect. Still, we should try. We should try. The Lord does use people, He uses government, to dole out justice on His behalf in the present. But it'll never be perfect until the Lord returns in the future. And this brings us to letter B, and that is that Divine justice is perfect. Divine justice is perfect. Because God is holy, He is incapable of committing injustice. For example, in Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 5, it says, He can do no wrong. And then in 1 Peter 2.23, Peter says, The Lord judges justly. He does not fear mob bosses. He cannot be bribed. Uh, the Lord doesn't show favoritism to anyone, and nor is He swayed by anybody's emotions. And the Lord never has a bad day where His, his judgment is off somehow, just because, you know, maybe He overslept or He didn't have His coffee yet. That's never the, never the case. His judgment is always exact, it's always fair, and it's always perfect. Now, although His judgment may be delayed, it is inevitable. For example, in Romans chapter 14, verses 10, 11, and 12, uh, Paul says that everyone, including you and me, we're all going to stand before God's judgment seat where he will dole out justice. For the believer, this is where we will receive rewards, eternal rewards, for all that we did for Christ while we were here on earth. And for the unbeliever, when they stand before the judgment seat, that is where they will be condemned for their sin and for rejecting God's Son, Jesus Christ. Now, there's an important gospel connection here, though, when we talk about justice and God's character, and it's, and it's this. We see man's injustice and God's justice intersect at the cross in the gospel story. Jesus was falsely accused and unjustly crucified for crimes he didn't commit by men. However, Jesus' death on the cross was ordained by God. 
because his justice demanded someone die for our sin. This is why the gospel offers, offers forgiveness to those who repent of their sin and by faith trust in Jesus Christ alone for their salvation. Believing in and following Christ allows his death to take the place of yours so you don't have to die for your sin. And he does instead. So, application. How do we apply this next truth? Number two in your outline. Well, I think we should love justice. We should love justice. Micah 6.8 says, Believers are to love justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with their God. Mainly because God loves justice, we should love justice. It, it, it's a sign, among other things, that we are growing in our walk with the Lord. You see, Christ followers who are living lives saturated in God's Word learn to love what God loves and to hate what He hates. Thus, we should long for fair, balanced, unbiased judgment, justice, excuse me, regardless of who comes out guilty. Because all people are made in the image of God. And all hearts are awfully wicked, including our own. Christ followers should be on no one's side when it comes to racial injustice. We should be on God's side. I'm on God's side. I, I want the Lord to be glorified and pleased with the outcome of the tragic deaths that have taken place this year. I, I, I want there to be justice done that will please and glorify Him. And you should too. So we should love justice. We should ask for justice. Pursue it and pray for it. Finally, if you would turn your Bibles with me to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. Two. I just want to review a passage that we studied earlier this year in my Ephesians series, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 13 to 17. And after you turn there, follow along with me as I read. Paul says, For he himself, I'm sorry, let me go back to verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility." And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. So what's Paul saying here? Well, in relation to racial injustice and the, the racial issues and conflict going on in our country right now, here's number three on your outline. This is what Paul is saying. Jesus is the only complete solution. 
Jesus is the only complete solution. In, in this passage, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 13 to 17, the Apostle Paul is addressing a serious racial divide that existed in the early church, primarily between new Jewish believers and new Gentile believers. They came from radically different backgrounds, got saved, came into the church, and had a lot of conflict over what the church should look like. And Paul, in essence, lays out the gospel again in this passage. And then he says, and I would sum it up like this, you can be reconciled and unified under the name of Jesus Christ. Now, we mustn't misunderstand this. Paul is not saying the Jews need to be less Jewish and more Gentilish. Nor is he saying the Gentiles need to be less Gentilish and, and more Jewish. And in the same way, today, I would say whites don't need to be less white and more black, and blacks don't need to be less black and more white. Uh, the scriptures don't teach that. Instead, Jesus makes a new humanity, according to the text, and Paul calls both Jews and Gentiles who despised each other to become something greater, to become something bigger than themselves, to become something outside of themselves, and that is to become like Christ. Thus, the key, the key to racial reconciliation is not one group becoming more like the other, but rather both groups becoming like Christ. That's what Paul is saying here in Ephesians chapter 2. Now, what does this mean more specifically? Well, the only sure way for whites, blacks, Latinos, Asians, and Europeans to be completely reconciled is through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. We may be able to close the gap a little by loving our neighbors as we should and treating others as we would want to be treated as we should. However, the challenge the challenges of our different subcultures being so different, sorry, I used the word different twice there, but because our subcultures are so different, there's always going to be an obstacle to us uniting and, and being reconciled. Thus, that's why I think what Paul is saying here is that we, we don't need to become more or less like each other. Instead, we need to be given something bigger and greater outside of ourselves to strive for, to rally behind. And of course, that is the Lord Jesus Christ. So, how do we apply this? What do we do? I think we should proclaim the gospel. We need to stay gospel-focused. This means that when we have conversations with other people about the racial conflict going on in our country right now, 
we need to bring Jesus up and what he has done on the cross and what he's done in the past with Jews and Gentiles and reconciling them and what he can still do today. It means that we need to, as we watch the news or we have dinner with our families, we need to stop and we need to pray for thousands of people to repent and to trust Christ as their Lord and Savior. Because that is the only complete solution to this problem. So does God care about justice? Absolutely. It's an integral part of his character. He loves justice and he commands that we do the same. And he will execute justice, sometimes in the present and for certain in the future when he returns. Well, I hope these truths from the scriptures have encouraged you. I hope you found them helpful. I wanted to ask if you would join me in prayer as I pray for the issues right now going on in our nation. And let's ask the Lord to do some of the things that we talked about in this video. Would you join me? Heavenly Father, Thank you for opening up your throne room through your son, Jesus Christ. For those who repent and by faith trust in him alone for their salvation. Thank you, Lord, that we can come to you in prayer and that there are many scriptures in which you invite us to come. You urge us to come to you. And so we're coming, Lord. We're coming in humility and with great, deep concern for our nation. Lord, please, would you, would you help us to see all people as you do, made in your image, but living in rebellion against you, ridiculously loved and needing reconciliation with you through your son. Would you help us to see them as equal in value and equally made in your image. And Lord, if there is any prejudice or racism in our hearts or unreasonable bias, would you purge that from our hearts so that we can be right before you? Father, we also want to ask that you please, would you please give comfort and bring justice for the Arbery and Floyd families? We also want to pray for the business owners who have had their property damaged or stolen in the past couple of weeks. Lord, please, would you comfort them and give them justice as well? Many of them were just coming out of the shutdown from COVID-19, and I cannot imagine the devastation they feel having had their businesses burned and, or buildings broken into and looted. Please, Lord, would you provide for them and bring good out of these tragic situations, just as you have promised you will. And Lord, we also want to ask for wisdom for our leaders. That Lord, please, you, would you help them to listen to those who have legitimate complaints? And would you help our leaders protect those who have done nothing wrong? Lord, that is a delicate balance to maintain. And many of our leaders right now across the nation are facing 
incredible challenges. So please, Lord, help them. And Lord, would you work sovereignly through them to accomplish good for our nation, to bring many to faith in Christ. And Lord, that, that brings us to our last request. Please, Lord, would you use all that's happening right now this year in our nation from, from COVID-19 to the economic recession to the racial conflicts, the rioting and the looting. Lord, please, would you cause the gospel to go forth and to change lives? Lord, please, would you, would you bring thousands to repentance and faith in Jesus Christ? so they can be forgiven, so they can be transformed, so they can be set free from the bondage of their sin, from their prejudice, from their hatred. We know, Lord, that'll bring glory to you. And we know it'll please you. And Father, if you want our church to have a part in that, please use us and show us how. We pray all this in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. Well, we're almost done with our reopening plan, and we hope to hear back from the school district soon. I'm looking forward to worshiping with you again very soon in the near future. Stay tuned. We'll let you know as soon as we've got word. We'll be getting it out to you. Until then, I hope you have a blessed week, and thanks for tuning in. We hope you've enjoyed this Vanguard Bible Church podcast. You can find more sermon messages online at vanguardbible.org. Have a great week, and we hope we'll see you soon.